gathered together from the cosmic reaches of the universe here in this great hall of justice. Superheroes have to be around other superheroes. You know what I mean? That's the Hall of Justice is more about them just commiserating about their powers and less about them like actually fighting crime. So what uh what is this place anyway? Is this some type of fancy DMV? Are you kidding? It's the Hall of Justice. Seth Everett is the best there is at what he does, Bob. And what he does is the Hall of Justice podcast. Go, go, go with a smile. Welcome to another edition of the Hall of Justice. This is episode 371. And this time we are talking about the film Madam Web. Where do we begin? Madam Webb stars Dakota Johnson, Sidney Sweeney, Isabella Merced, Emma Roberts, and Celeste O'Connor. It is based on a character that I didn't really know much about in the comics. She first appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man, number 210, published in 1980, created by the greats, Denny O'Neill and John Romita Jr. I knew her from the 1990s Spider-Man the Animated Series, voiced by Stan Lee's wife, Joan Madam Web was a mentor to Spider-Man and an ally of the Beyonder, which tied into Secret Wars. Please remember that, Marvel. That's all I knew going into this film. That said, if you have a little bit of knowledge about Spider-Man, I think you can figure this whole thing out. Joining us today for this review is the host of the Middle Geeks podcast. He also writes for Nerds of Color. Used to do a Spider-Man podcast that I dug. And I have an idea for him. Let's re-welcome Swara Saleh. First of all, welcome back. It's great to have you back on the podcast. I will use any excuse. And I want to give you a title. We talked about this in the open of the show. I have a title for you because we have... Oh, yeah? I thought about this in the history of the podcast. We have a Star Wars insider. That's our boy, uh, J.C. Reifenberg. By default... Uh, our mutual friend, JC, and my mutual friend, uh, Anthony Brucalli, is our Transformers insider. But I like the idea of naming you the Spider-Verse or Spider-Man influencer, uh, uh, insider, not influencer, that, that's Freudian, um, the Spider-Man insider for the Hall of Justice podcast. Dude, thank you so much for that. I'm so into that. And the thing for me, as you might notice from my social media, I've been down on Marvel as a whole recently, but Spider-Man, number one in my heart, even though I'm primarily a DC guy, Spider-Man always stood out to me since I was a kid. Even though I'm down on Marvel, I'm still out there for Spider-Man and Spider-Verse related stuff. Even if I don't enjoy it as much or have my critiques, still my number one guy. So thank you so much, Seth. I, that's an honor. Excellent. Excellent. All right. Okay. Where to begin? Where to begin? Where to... <laughs> you know, if you're going to evaluate this movie as a comic book movie, as a superhero movie, or are you going to evaluate it compared to Venom 1, Venom 2, and Morbius, if it's those three, and I texted this to you, it's probably my favorite of all, all of them. Of all makes, of them? Wow. It makes the most sense. 
for most of them. There are still major question marks, and believe me, we will discuss all of them. And the whole thing might be a big pile of what? I have no idea. But from a context of a start, a middle, and an end, none of it angered me. None of it got to the point. Like in Venom, Venom, just the idea of Venom not having anything to do with Peter Parker is, is ridiculous. It's and, and then the second one is even stupider. And Morbius was a big mishmash. So this, the pleasant, the, the lovely girls, it, 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 it's the, the dialogue's fine with them. It's just there. It's 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 OK. Your thought. It's inoffensive. Oh, very inoffensive. Yeah. Very inoffensive. Yeah. Yeah. In a, in a uh, time when movies can't yeah. offend. Oh, yes. And for me, that's mainly been my problem with a lot of the MCU recently, as well as, you know, some DC films where, you know, they may be bad or mediocre, but they'll try to attempt certain things or try to be more serious or grandstanding than they really have any right to be, especially in the context of the stories they're telling. I feel like Quantumania and the Marvels and Aquaman, too, these were definitely big offenders of that. But Madam Web, you're right. It's inoffensive. I will say, I think it's overall a bad movie. However, I also think that Venom 1 is also a bad... These are both, for me, so bad that it's good movies. Like, I was laughing so much in the theater watching Madam Web when that first trailer came out. And that line, which has been memed to death, including by me, my mother was in the Amazon. He was in the, sorry, he was in the Amazon study with my mother who was studying spiders right before she died. It's just like, what? That was this movie. And it was just like, for me, the Sony films, especially as we don't have to take them anywhere near as seriously or try to take them as seriously as the MCU, which tries to connect everything. These are mainly one-offs. And so I can have fun with Venom 1. I especially had fun with Venom 2, which I described as a hilarious, violent (laughs) rom-com. This movie is like, it's such a, I don't know, a very simplistic, I will say girl power movie that is very surface level. But like you said, it's inoffensive. And they're unintentionally (laughs) hilarious moments throughout it. So I had a fun time. I don't think it's anywhere near high caliber cinema. I think it's ultimately as well like a a victim of the basically bad superhero movie industrial complex we have going on right now, which I hope we're able to break out of soon. But I had a fun time. It was hilarious. So given my limited knowledge of who Madam Web was going in, it gives them a very blank canvas of how is she going to get there? And as a matter of fact, given all the the marketing for this movie, I really didn't think you would ever see her looking or resembling the Madam Web from the Spider-Man and the John Semper series. Um, That's remarkable. And to that end, one of my big notes that I took during the film is this is going to piss me off that this isn't in the MCU, because if you're going to do Secret Wars, Madam Web should be the conduit for the Beyonder, if there is going to be a Beyonder, in Secret Wars, because the way John Semper's Spider-Man, the animated series, did it was perfect. Agreed. That was the original Spider-Verse, like y'all talked about of on the course, podcast. Yeah, we, we've had that. Like, yeah, we did that on yeah. the podcast. Yep. Yeah. 
it's just it's just fascinating to me in the first place that there would be a Madam Web movie because like you, my only knowledge of her was from the animated series, which I absolutely loved. And I loved Madam Web. She was just like weird, like um, creepy old woman who was Spider-Man's mentor. And, and like, where, what's the source come, of her power? Wait, what, what's the source of her power? There's a mystery I, I, there. I will say on the concept of her power, I may be jumping ahead a bit, but I like how the way I interpreted it, it was sort of a heightened spider sense that, you know, Spider-Man has being able to predict things, being able to sense things before, right before they happen. And this was like a heightened version of that, like connected to, I guess, like the spider web of like telepathy and like uh, precognition. Like that was cool. I think there were elements in this movie that were actually really cool that if they had a better script, a better idea of where they were going, could have been really expounded upon um so so who yeah, are the I amazonian think... spider-men who are they I, 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 and, well, and, I'm not... and what's the point of them so i'm not sure about them specifically but i do know about ezekiel so ezekiel sims who barely resembles the comics i gotta tell you sure. it, outside of appearance um so ezekiel sims um meets spider-man in there's in like early 2000s i believe comics i didn't read these that much but i did uh wikipedia a lot of them and a lot of spider-man knowledge so ezekiel sims is like this mystic spider person whom peter meets and he tells peter hey you know what you are not spider-man by coincidence you are actually destined, predestined by the spider totem to be Spider-Man. And the thing is, there's also a rhino totem. There's a vulture totem. There's a scorpion totem, um, et cetera. So, so all this the like Spider-Man villains, the, 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 the Spider traditional villains, Spider-Man yeah. villains are predetermined. Exactly. Um, I'm personally mixed on that concept because I love the idea of Spider-Man simply being Anyone can wear the mask. This was random. It wasn't necessarily by destiny. But some people do really dig that aspect of maybe this is more mystical than um, random scientific entropy that Peter became Spider-Man. So I don't know about the Amazonian Aranias themselves. I would imagine they are connected to that aspect with Ezekiel Sims, who, again, in the comics is like, I believe, way more neutral. Like he's like a hero mentor to Peter. In this movie, they made him a straight up murderous bad guy, and who has a Spider-Man costume twenty years before Peter Parker gets the Spider-Man costume. (laughs) And apparently, you know, all these like Spider Women, Spider Girls, also like are pre-Spider-Man or are going. But those are all flash forwards. Those are all flash flash forwards. So at least that I could buy. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, they're having Peter still be a linchpin in this movie as this is you know we're in spoiler territory i guess this is right before his birth but apparently a bunch of spider people were already involved with him so i guess that is leaning a lot into the destiny aspect but it's just like it's so ridiculous every time i think about this movie i just i don't know it's like yeah that's where i'm at with it all right um Let's 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 build on what you said though, because there's a lot of the Spider-Man look. Like there are there are multiple Spider-Men that look like Spider-Man, like like they are variations of Spider-Man 20 years before Spider-Man. 
right? Yeah. And and if you want to do the flash forwards, first of all, those costumes were fantastic. And yeah, I like the costumes. If you saw Spider-Verse, yeah. you saw that's what they look like. And I didn't understand the Julia character. Uh, well, we, we can get to this, but this is a quick tangent. Did you ever watch in the 90s the Marvel Action Hour? I did. And Robert Man Hayes and... is Iron Man, which is in continuity yeah. with the John Semper Spider-Man, the animated series. But there's a Julia Carpenter and they go out of their way to name her Julia, give her the exact costume and powers and don't let her be named Julia Carpenter. They had to give her another name. Why? Why? That, that's, oh, yeah. That's what we like call her... in the Hall of Justice podcast. Change for change sake. Yeah, like her name is still, her first name is still Julia, but they changed her last name for whatever reason, which is weird. Julia Carpenter in the cartoon and in the comics, but in this movie, she's Julia Cornwall. Right, right. Um, in the movie, you have constant allusions to Peter's first name. You know, we see Mary Parker, heavily pregnant, about to give birth. We never hear his name. We never hear the name of Ben's wife. Uh, we Who'd just get May. constant. Uh, that'd be May. be May, obviously. Yes. Um, although he does say so... he went on a date when you, you presume that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's just so fascinating to me. I feel as though the reason they don't do that, you know, say explicitly what their names are is for whatever the stipulations that the Sony deal has for the Spider-Man characters rights I think that if they use the specific name of Peter Parker, they'd have to, they'd be, I don't know, going outside the rules they have set for these spinoff movies. Or if they want to use Peter Parker, they might need to pay more dividends under the deal they have with Marvel Studios. It's very confusing, legally wonky jargon. But I'm just constantly fascinated by it in this like universe that Sony, or I guess multiverse, because like I don't know how any of these movies connect. Um, this multiverse that Sony has been making, and they just do it for the sake of just making these movies, which well, is keeping the rights, keeping keeping the rights, yeah, so that they make the profit, they make the money when uh, when Marvel Studios uses Tom Holland. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah, yeah on to the on the movie itself, I just like I mean I like I think there are elements here where they could even like I would be down to watch a Madam Web sequel. I think there could be something good in there. The only question is would it make enough to warrant that? Which No, I no, no. The answer say. to that is no, but what I'd want is in the midst of Secret Wars find Dakota Johnson with the in the wheelchair with the with the glasses and helping. Oh my god, that would be amazing. Yeah, I would love that too. I just That's what you don't want. Think... I don't think you want a yeah. second. You don't want a second Madam Web film. What right. you want because a second Madam Web film is that's Venom 2. That's Morbius 2. Like what's the point of this? But I love Venom 2. That's the thing. <laughs> so I would like Madam but Web Venom 2. Venom 2, as Venom well as 2 like... is screaming at you that Peter's not there. <laughs> Venom 1 is shouting it. Venom 2 is literally telling you how much this is, how stupid this is. Yes, and I love it. I love this. Madam Web, but Madam Web as a conduit. Now, if she is able to see the future and can figure out people's destinies, 
that can be a great asset when recruiting the new Avengers. Like that's that's the whole thing is if you told me that this was just a stepping stone and that you needed to introduce her kind of like Blue Beetle, um, you know, kind of like the Eternals, although the Eternals makes less sense than Madam Web, because at least Madam Web, I could see a place going forward, whereas in the Eternals, they literally address the elephant in the room going, where were you when Thanos was there? Yeah, well, I don't think these things are connected. You know, Sony's just off doing its own thing. They're just like, let's spin the wheel for whatever random Spider-Verse character we can use. And it just happened to be Madam Web. And I guess they try to like have some more spider people in there, maybe for potential spinoffs. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I know. It's definitely confusing at the end of the day. I, it's it's a it's a lot. It's a lot there. It, it, it's 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 weird. Um, again, if you see Madam Web and the only thing you know about her, she barely has a comic book history. And John Semper was able to take liberties with her. I, a little, little spider fact, uh, Stan Lee's wife, Joan played Madam Web in the cartoon. Um, and Madam Web was a justification. Madam Web got John to make the story bigger. John never had to pay off Mary Jane. Remember, he killed off Mary Jane, even though you couldn't quote unquote kill her because it was for kids. He kills Mary Jane in that show and never has to pay off because everything gets to a bigger and bigger climax. And the bridge to that is this Madam Web. It's remarkable. It's a remarkable use of a nothing character. And now you created yeah. the nothing character and made me like her because Dakota Johnson is likable. She did a solid job. I mean, I don't think the dialogue was the best in this movie. I think I know I get I, I was going in expecting her acting to be very one note and dull, um, which I think it was at times, to be honest. But no, there were moments of genuine emotion, genuine uh, funny moments with her and the other spider ladies and i think that there were again hints of chemistry there which i don't think unfortunately came together for something as compelling as you might get in a typical uh marvel film or other comic book movie so yeah i think i don't know i think i'm struggling to say that i think this was ultimately a good uh, overall performance from her, but I think I see the seeds of it in there. And I understand like, again, the likability of Dakota Johnson. She is like a really uh, great actress overall. Oh no, the, the great actors. I want to get to the cast in a second, but I want to, because you brought that up, I want to get to the notes that I have. As you as you were telling me this, I'm feverishly trying to get the notes that I took during the film. Um, but the first one is a tangent and it's just to make everybody laugh. Um, Sydney Sweeney's, that's her name, right? Sydney Sweeney. Sydney Sweeney's father in the hospital in the beginning of the movie looks like one of the zombies from the thriller video. I just want that stated. And I literally that, tried to hilarious. Google and IMDb who that was to see if that person was in the thriller video because it would have made sense that that person aged 30 years. So all I can say to anybody listening to the podcast is if there's a chance that that's true, 
I just want it noted that I said this here. Otherwise, you can forget this little portion of the podcast. The two dumbest lines, the two dumbest lines of this film is when she leaves them in the woods. And as she's leaving them in the woods, says, don't do anything dumb. Hi, that was dumb. (laughs) What you're doing is dumb. Don't ask them to do something dumb. You're being dumb. Why would you leave? Secondly, she has a vision of her leaving them in a hotel, but then leaves them again. And realizes that went horribly wrong, so she gets a chance to do that over again. How, you have to have special powers to realize, stop leaving these teenage girls around? Oh, man. And the thing is, like, okay, I was, I'm was i taking this from the Kind of Funny podcast. They were talking about, they were reviewing Madam Web, and they mentioned, like, so the girls, like, they are apparently really, really hungry that they are willing to go out and find food from their safe spot. And they find a diner. Someone out to, they find the diner. But even though there's someone out there trying to kill them. So one of the guys was like, how hungry could they be really? <laughs> like that they would do that. Right. How hungry are you? Right. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. I, I, I just thought the irony there, like I almost wanted a rim shot when she looks at them and goes, don't do anything dumb. But I'm bump. <laughs> like that that's where you're going with this. Um, the other part of my note was uh when she has the vision, which so she goes to visit the mystic spider people. And oh, by the way, uh travel in this Sony verse very, no very sense. fast. They have not no only the Concord, <laughs> it took two seconds for her to leave. It's like she left at noon and was in Peru by like three o'clock in the afternoon. And while the police are still looking for her. Right. Right. She got on an airplane while the police are still looking for her. That's thank you very much. Uh, I see. That's why you're a Spider-Man insider. Um, She has a vision and she sees her mom's quest and they decide as filmmakers that it's such a powerful moment that in a vision, she hugs her mom. Okay. I get it. I know it we're talking dumb. superheroes and it's right. Amazonian Spider-Man, right. but that suspends belief. <laughs> well, is it a vision or it isn't? I think like Okay, so I think this version of Madam Web also has I know, it's hilarious. Yes. Um, I'm having so much fun. This with version this. of this version of Madam Web also has astral projection. That's what we see at the end of the movie when she's able to save all three girls at once. So that makes sense to me. So it could be like her sending through the past, like a corporeal version of herself to hug her mom. That's how I would um, explain that. I will say though, again, on the basis that a lot of this is very nonsensical, um, that was a genuinely emotional moment when she reconciles with her dead mom. And some really good action from Dakota Johnson. Then, I this is this is what we were saying earlier. Like this is a Never bad hug. movie. Take the hug out, and it works. Yes. <laughs> Fair enough. The hug is like how? What? How is that possible? Again, astral projection. That's how I'm ca- head canoning. Projection. It. 
I know I agree with you. It doesn't make sense, but I love the emotions behind it. She hugs her mom in, in a vision. She's not there. 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 And then she's there. Can Madam Web show up in Craven? Um, is Craven going to have any spider references? I think I think inevitably it will some sort. I mean, I don't know. Maybe Craven will hear at the end of the movie. There's someone swinging through New York, and he's a menace according to the media. So maybe that'll be like Craven's next hunt or something. Um, I guess it'll also At this depend point, on... you wouldn't revive Garfield <laughs> or Tobey Maguire. I wish they would. I think like it would make sense. I think like the public is clearly craving these actors. I think it would most likely be Andrew Garfield. However, I will say across the superhero scape, I think that while it was once really desirable, it was like the golden egg in like the Hollywood business to be a superhero. I don't think that's true anymore. I think that actors, like, for example, you hear behind the scenes on the Thunderbolts or you hear behind the scenes of Blade, which I would not be surprised if Mahershala Ali left that project at this point. I think that at least in the something like the MCU, we may be seeing like this starting to crumble a bit. And Andrew Garfield, whom I love, fantastic actor, wonderful human being best depiction of even though his movies weren't the best he is the best peter parker like by and large his movies are terrible yes but his so, performance so is great it's 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 a it's a, right that's that's ryan reynolds yeah. was great as green lantern it's not his fault he fought a cloud 100 <laughs> exactly exactly so it's not andrew garfield the person or the actor right. it's andrew yeah. garfield with brandon ralph it's the same thing brandon ralph yeah. embodied christopher reeve Hundred percent, and you could make so the argument yeah. for Henry Cavill. Yeah, Henry Cavill absolutely. looks like Superman, except he played an asshole. Exactly. So the thing is, I could very much see a situation where Sony execs really wanted Andrew Garfield back, but potentially, yeah. And for him as an actor, like it, he and he says much that in No Way Home, he got his closure for that character by sort of uh, redeeming, like his failure to save Gwen with saving MJ instead in that movie and like helping an alternate version of himself. So for him, I could see him as being like, you know what, even though this is a really famous role, even though like the people are clamoring for me, I'm going to go out on a high note. So that could be it. I don't know. Like, but that that's something I could easily envision. So I think that I'm sorry, this is going to a larger point, uh, sort of outside the movie. So forgive me, but I do think that as these um, studios are increasingly relying on nostalgia, um, it'll be interesting to see who does and who doesn't come back for it. Uh, it seems like Marvel Studios is doing a good job of getting back some of their older actors, such as obviously like Deadpool and Wolverine. They got Hugh Jackman back. Um, they have Kelsey Grammer back as Beast. Maybe they'll probably have the other X-Men actors. And on that point about the X-Men actors, I think, the reason one of the main reasons they haven't cast new X-Men is because these actors are contracted to be the X-Men until 2026. So after then they could, if they wanted to cast new ones. So but do you yeah, think, it's... you think Monica Rambeau at the end of Marvel's, this is just a, a reference to a, a oh, sure, sure. podcast. You think she's in the X-Men universe of Brian Singer? Yeah. Yeah. Or something like it at the so very, it's not a hybrid that, has the same beast. that is, that is beast from, 
X-Men The Last Stand? Uh, I, I really don't know. It could be just like a different universe with the same actors. So, yeah, hmm. I mean, not necessarily Brian Singer, but we'll see how it goes. Well, because the just... rumor, the rumor, and we talked about mm -hmm. this last week on the podcast, the rumor is that uh, Hugh Jackman is playing a different Wolverine than the guy mm. from Logan. Yeah, I could see that. Even though Logan takes place, quote unquote, in the future. And that you definitely can have Wolverine still be in movies, despite mm -hmm. the fact that he dies at the end of Wolverine. Spoilers, uh -huh, at the end of Logan, Logan, uh, he can still be the guy if you want to just say present day. Because they don't say mm -hmm. what year Logan takes place. They just say the future. Right. All right. right. So, again, suspend belief. If, if Dakota Johnson can hug her mom in a vision, yeah. we can suspend belief. This is our roundabout way of getting back to the main conversation. Yes. Yeah, it's not my first podcast. Um, <laughs> but do you do you get the sense that Disney has a plan for X-Men? Absolutely not. I don't think they've had a plan for anything for a while. I think that they constantly and I think like I think it's just rudderless. It, You've heard often, you you knew about our month of Marvel when we talked to Tara Bennett right. and we, you you knew about all, all of that stuff. You'd yeah. think at this point, even with COVID and the actor strike and the writer strike, you think mm -hmm. that Marvel is still just throwing a bunch of shit against the wall? I think that's it. Absolutely. I, I, I don't know. I think they are. I will give them credit and say, I'm glad they're slowing down. They're putting out way too much stuff. Quantity over quality people the general public is exhausted Mo superhero movies are no longer considered events i'm glad that there's only one marvel movie coming out this year and it does seem like they are going back to the drawing board at least in some ways so even though i don't think they have a plan currently they could i encourage them to i encourage them to have something genuinely mapped out and obviously you know as well like they with Jonathan Majors, especially who they, whom they decided to based on like one or two performances, linchpin their entire franchise on. And then that completely blew up in their face in the worst way possible. I don't know. Like, I, I guess like I feel sympathy for them in that sense of like, I understand like, you know, y'all were dealt like a terrible hand here. But at the same time, I think a, a lot of it was their own mismanagement. So, I hope that they make a better plan. I'm just like not. I'll okay, be, but you, I'll be okay. Frank you brought think, up Jonathan yeah. Majors, so so yeah, yeah. Of the things you could bring up, that was my the one I was worried about the least. Um, right. The idea, uh, I what I don't understand is why is this complicated? Why can't they recast him? They have recast actors mm -hmm. for much simpler reasons. And oh, well, they're definitely recasting him now after the verdict. Yeah. No, no, no. But recast him and don't kill off the Kang storyline. Like, yeah, see yeah. it through just with a different mm -hmm. guy. And totally. Yeah. You could announce that. The only reason why I thought they waited uh, to announce it was. I think he's in something else. I think John yeah. Majors films something else. And that's they're just stuck with that because as. Chadwick Boseman will tell you if they build a set, the main actor's death does not make them leave a set. <laughs> like if they if they do it, they will plug and play, you know, Shuri into a Chadwick Boseman scene just to keep that scene. So my argument yeah, is 100%. just do do yourselves a favor 
and stick to what worked, even if it fails miserably. Because you know what? If you if you go to whatever phase seven is, if it's good, we'll all come back. Because yeah. no one sits there and says, well, I'm mad at them because Ant-Man Quantumedia didn't, didn't do it for me. I'm not watching anymore. No one says that. X-Men The Last Stand was terrible. Did it hurt Days of Future Past? No, not at all. Days of Future Past was fantastic. They absolutely... Did George absolutely Clooney right. make you not want to see Christian Bale? <laughs> not at all. Exactly. Like, these franchises, they go through ups and downs all the time. But I suppose that's part of why, with knowing, like, that there is this variety of quality... That does also give me personally, and I think others, exhaustion about like, oh, the grand plan, like how this all ties in together. And I understand like it's exciting. I really used to be very invested in that. Now I'm going about it as, at a very project by project basis. But like you said, just because one movie was so bad doesn't mean I'm going to give nothing else a chance. Right. I will say though my expectations are substantially lower than they were a few years ago. Well, that's my argument about uh, James Gunn. I know we're going off on a million tangents here, and this, is, this still is a I mean, I love podcast, DC, so fine. I'm here That's what that. happens when he's here. But, but James Gunn, people say to me on social media all the time, they'll go, hey, you pumped up for James Gunn? And I'm like, I will when it comes out. I'll see it. I'll do podcasts on it. But James Gunn, I didn't love the Suicide Squad. It wasn't wonderful. It was fine. It it is. I thought Peacemaker was great. Like this argument about, you know, we're holding it against people. Like that. That's crazy. And, you know, the question about Kelsey Grammer, I think, is a fun question to speculate on. Is that the guy that I remember from X Men: The Last Stand? If the answer to that is yes, bravo. Like, bravo, you found a way to shoehorn them in. I've told uh, this story on the podcast before. Before Chadwick Boseman's death, I thought the introduction of the X-Men was going to be in Black Panther 2 when T'Challa was going to meet Aurora Monroe in Africa. There was going to be some crime or something in Africa, and they were going to meet Aurora Monroe, maybe become love interest, because that's from the comics. And Aurora Monroe says, you have to meet my friends. I go. I went to this school in America. I went. I saw this. Oh, really? Chadwick Boseman says we're starting a school in San Francisco. Oh, that's cool. Ours is in Westchester. Bam! There's the X Men. Like that's what I always thought. I, I always said that was the way it ha- it would have happened. Look, it's all. It's nice. That'll be fan fiction one day. the The argument here for any of this is stick to what your art is. This is your art. This is your thing. And Kevin Feige, the, the ship start, starts and stops with him. And if his vision was, if he left his office one day with a shake hands to all these filmmakers and said, Kang is our big bad, and it's going to lead to, the Kang dynasty is going to lead to the secret wars, then stick to that plan. Don't let Jonathan Majors being a jackass change that in any way. You have yeah. to recast everybody. Do it. Okay. Again. Totally. Go back in history. What was the reason uh, Ed Norton's not the Bruce Banner anymore? Or uh, what's his face with War Machine? 
Yeah. And they just recast. Audiences can accept it. Move I 100% so many people that don't you. even know that Don Cheadle replaced Terrence Howard. I fundamentally agree with you. This notion, and I feel like it's especially from Disney-owned companies in particular, that no other actor can play the role or they'll try to CGI older actors to play younger actors. For example, I have many criticisms of the latest Indiana Jones movie. One of them is I think they should have just had Alden Ehrenreich play younger Indiana Jones instead of trying to CGI Harrison Ford, which I thought personally thought looked awful. See, and I like what Star Wars is doing with Mark Hamill. Mm -hmm. It's not perfect. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, if you want to do TikToks that show how it's a CGI and it's all fake, it, the intent was great. And mm-hmm. that finale of season two of The Mandalorian, when he comes in and kicks ass, that's amazing because that's the Luke Skywalker, the fully trained Luke Skywalker that you never got to see. And that's great. And mm-hmm. what I'd love for Disney to do is go back and use your new AI James Earl Jones that you displayed so wonderfully in Book of Boba Fett and re- revoice the Darth Vader scenes in Rogue One. Mm-hmm. Because in Rogue One, he sounds like a 90-year-old man. Yeah, he wasn't. <laughs> and, well, and, just, and, you know, and we had Nelson yeah. Lee on the podcast about six weeks ago. Nelson mm-hmm. Lee is in uh, Ahsoka. And he got to film a scene with Anthony Daniels. And he is a sag after actor who I asked, point blank, I would pay Anthony Daniels a small fortune and get permission to have him be C-3PO for now till eternity. That's how you use this stuff. Look, I, I don't care. All these things about AI and how people are going too far. Did anybody see the Billy Joel video? That is use no, of it. For those of you who haven't seen it, he wrote the first song. He wrote his first song in 30 years. And in the video, he's sitting at the piano singing this song. And as the camera pans around, it's him from different eras. And what the AI is doing, he's not, it's not filming. It's not showing clips of him singing Innocent Man. It's him singing this new song, but they're using AI. And it's with Billy Joel's blessing. And they did it. The John Lennon thing with the Beatles. That was incredible. With John Lennon's family's approval, they took a cassette of John Lennon. And they made a song out of it. And look, we've done it on this podcast. We used AI to take Christopher Reeve's voice out of this this promo video that he had done for the Christopher and Dana Reeve Foundation. And that's AI that made him in the promo with the Superman theme. If it's used correctly. Now, how it's used wrong is not casting people and not doing the Mm -hmm. right thing by these actors. But do the right thing by the Mm -hmm. actors because then you have a remarkable palette of opportunity you could make dakota johnson look like the woman from the cartoon yeah i mean she has like job security with this role if they want to like keep uh her in movies like in decades from now yeah i overall agree yeah yeah i overall agree with you like as long as there's like consent from like the family or the person or the estate then yeah sure i like yeah, we could go on like a whole other podcast about AI and use of actors and whatnot. But like back to uh, Madam Web, 
back to like a, still in a wider conversation with this movie, I was been thinking about this a lot the last few days. I think it is also like emblematic of what's been wrong with a lot of superhero films as well of having this like very sort of exact structure, obviously with some variations here and there, including in this movie, but like setup of the hero and their origin story, they have a parallel uh, with a villain. They, uh, have like some sort of a moment of reconciliation right before the big battle. The big battle in this case was like far more subdued compared to something we might get in another superhero film. Um, the villain dies, you know, for whatever reason, not exactly by the hero. And it's like very cut and paste. And I think I, I've been thinking about how across the Spider-Verse, also a Sony project, uh, did it differently, mixed up the formula of what we have so often across the board from these superhero movies that become so tedious. And it's just like another one down the Rolodex of like, uh, the yeah, again, superhero industrial complex. And we know as comic fans, as superhero fans, we know there is a lot of variety of storytelling to tell. I will say in particular animated films do it spectacularly especially in dc um i can think of some superman um and batman and flash movies which in particular like do it really well they're animated but in live action they need to mix it up they need to just have different stories like we're tired of the same thing and especially when it's done so mediocrely with like bad scripts with often subpar acting and yeah like madam web it's it, you know it's hilarious to me in many ways like especially as i've gone so critical on the live action superhero genre as a whole i know i want these films to do well i want them to be more artistic and until then i'm just going to be laughing at a lot of them as i am with madam web now to be honest so yeah that's uh that's something I've been thinking about a lot about recently. Well, you know, it was funny. Uh, I'll tell this story. He, you might listen uh, to the podcast, but um, we uh, a couple of months ago, we had uh, Jordan Gorfinkel on and uh, Jordan uh, was in town uh, for something and we got together. Jordan Gorfinkel. Jordan Gorfinkel is the during the 90s. He was the editor of Batman comics at D.C. And we stopped at a bookstore and we looked at the comic books and what we saw was a whole section of comic book talent creating stuff that was creator owned. The Umbrella Academy, Paper Girls, The Boys, Invincible, all these things that exist and are the epitome of superhero storytelling. You know, just a couple of weeks ago, we did a podcast on Reacher. That's Batman and Daredevil combined. That's not a superhero show. That's a remarkable superhero show to the point of, I can't wait to see what they do for season three. I can't wait. So superhero fatigue is BS. And the only difference, and I guess to put a bow on this podcast and this film is Madam Web is literally like you could probably do a time counter 
on how much spider stuff is in it. And you can tell they're checking a box and watching it. That's what I felt we were doing. It was checking a box because this is what this podcast is going to do. Like we're going to review films. They don't all have to be gems. We're not, we didn't, I didn't start this podcast going. I'm only going to review good movies. As a matter of fact, when the show is that good, like Reacher, like the boys, I think the podcast sucks because there's nothing to say. We just gush about this stuff. I want like these films to be better, higher art as we have observed in the past before. Oh, I got to tell you, I forgot I mentioned to you um, several weeks ago, my fiance and I were at uh, here in D.C., um, the Batman 1989 in concert. Amazing, oh, cool. spectacular, like and just so riveting, even though, you know, as one of the first Did they play majors, trust and uh, uh, uh... Uh, the party man from uh, Prince. Unfortunately, they weren't able to. Oh, that dude. was like unfortunate. Yeah, like because uh, it was only the symphony score, like yep. um, not the soundtrack. But other than that, like you know, Tim. Bur- uh, sorry. Um, yeah, Danny Elfman's um uh score is magnificent, and like on the movie itself, even though it did have some of the main beats of superhero films that we see today, but still as one of the original ones. So it was still setting up that art as it was. I just like, wow. I wish like superhero films could be this like epic again and bold and innovative at whenever they are at the time they can be. And something like the Dawn or Superman, like, Oh my God, Superman one and two, just beautiful, beautiful films. Like there is hope for these stories and I don't want to like constantly come on here and just like be dour about it or pessimistic about it. Just like y'all studios, like just respect your artists to tell a bold and unique story like Spider-Verse. Spider-Verse is like what the pinnacle of superhero storytelling can be. That and superhero animated series like we got in the 90s and as well as like uh, the dcau uh into the 2000s those these are all the pinnacle of what superhero stories can be and i hope that for example with james gunn's universe whatever they're doing now in the mcu that they start to reach that level so we will see very well uh said very well very eloquent and a way to bring a little class and dignity to a film that I don't think social media will be kind to. <laughs> Absolutely not kind at all. No, I <laughs> thank you, Seth. <laughs> and, and, and again, uh, it was it was the te- I just I walked out of there and I went, that was not terrible. And I remember Mo- Mobius or Morbius, Morbius, whatever, Mobius, Morbius. I remember Morbius looking at my watch, going, "How much longer? Get me out of here." This I I enjoyed. I had a good good time with it. It's not too long. It's very nice. The girls are 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 very pleasant. They're they're jovial. I've I've seen them all in other things. This is very uh, you know Sydney Sweeney looked nothing like any of her other roles. That was pretty wild. Good for them. That's all I can say. I think I think we have said more about Madam Web in the last 45 <laughs> minutes than will ever be said in the future of our lives. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I, I, I echo, I think it was a Rolling Stone review. Um, this is the Cats of movies. <laughs> the Cats, the 2019 movie. <laughs> Which if you follow me on social media, you know I 
rag a lot on because it's I love these so hilariously bad it's good and that's where I am with Madam Web I am happy to say <laughs> Suara thanks again uh, anything Spider-Man you know you're our go-to but uh, don't be a stranger come to the podcast whenever you can and uh, yeah the only thing I can promise is I'll try to find better things to review thanks so much Seth I really appreciate you're it you're the best that is Suara Soleil. That is Madam Webb. Trust me. Everything you heard was very, very honest. Next week, the return of Mike Carlin, former editor for DC Comics, Superman Books, and then spent a decade with DC Animation. We'll talk to him about all the projects he's worked on over his illustrious career. We'll see you then. <laughs>